Welcome back to a special edition of Wow Living Radio. My name is Todd Miller from Listen Up Talk Radio. And of course, joining me is Margaret Wallace Duffy from Wow Living Radio and TV. Hello, Margaret. Yes, Todd, it's so good to be back. We've been so busy with making our seniors matter, but Wow Living Radio is always excited to do a special edition. And today is exactly that, a very special edition. Now, you know, Todd, the impact and the power of the internet and reaching um, through boundaries, uh, whether it's countries or cities. And today our special guest, one of our special guests is exactly that. I had the pleasure of meeting Alan Eisenberg, um, via Twitter. Now, you know, it can be incredibly powerful to, to reach beyond the doors of, of our clinics and our, our society where we're living and reach out to like-minded people. I'm very excited to welcome Alan Eisenberg to the show. Now, Alan um, has quite a story that he's going to share with us today. Um, his own story in terms of dealing with uh, recovering from anxiety and depression, um, bullying, and he's been really working hard out in the community to raise the awareness um, and bullying recovery. So he's going to be talking to us and he's got a book that's launching. So I'm going to let him to, to uh, talk about that. And I'm really excited to have a colleague and a friend on the show with us, uh, Masters in, in Occupational Therapy, Avdeep Barra, who is our OT, our resident WOW OT, who does a lot of work with mindfulness. So welcome both to the show. Thank you. Thank you. So Alan, where are you coming from today? Well, I'm actually outside of Washington, D.C., but, uh, of course, my story is, is much bigger than that. So uh, I, a, a lot of my story uh, takes place up north, more in the Boston area, much closer to where you are, uh, obviously. So, so I, I'm, I'm very familiar with that area. And, and we're so thrilled to have you. And I have to say, um, meeting you through Twitter, why did you reach out to me? What... What prompted you to, to reach out? Because that really is the, the whole reason for our discussion today. Well, it, it's an amazing story, and I'm, I'm, I'm a very big uh, internet social media file, I guess is the right word. But I found that uh, eight years ago, I started a blog about bullying, about my experiences. And my goal as an adult was to try to bring uh, an awareness that you know, children, it's, it's not just happening to kids and it's not just a kid's issue that I, I knew that I had had uh, long-term effects from what happened to me as a child and it, it formed who I was. And I, I strongly believe that that's a, a big part of how we are is we're formed in these, you know, early, very, very important years. And so I wanted to bring that awareness out into the open because I, I didn't find a lot of adults parents, anybody were ever willing to admit that this happened to them you know. and that it does have these effects. And, it, you know, also the adults in my life at the time I was bullied, you know, it was a different era. The kids being kids attitude, the attitude that they'll grow out of it, which they don't. Um, and, and this idea that, that, uh, it shouldn't affect you at these levels. And I really wanted to bring that clarity home. And what I, what I didn't expect was how much that would affect others. So even our meeting uh, is, a, is an eight-year travel that I've, I've made on a mission to, to get the word out, to, to continue to spread the message, which you know, culminated this year in me writing a book, a memoir, about my experience and, and the what is now classified as CPTSD or complex PTSD, 
that uh, comes from uh, youth abuse. And I, first of all, I want to commend you for, um, for the journey that you've been on and for continuing to share your story because you're absolutely right. Now, as a healthcare professional myself and, and doing a lot of body work, I see firsthand the impact physiologically that mental and physical that bullying um, and these mental health issues can have long-term on people. And there's quite a stigma often attached to that. And like you said, kids will be kids, and but it does have an impact. And to speak out and to share your story to empower and help others recover is brave. It's really brave. So, you know, in losing that stigma of mental health, depression, anxiety, and all of those things that we see as, as weaknesses is, is really, really important. So can you talk a little bit um, about, you know, your experience, what happened to you and, and your, and how did you help to recover? And then we'll get to this very important thing, which is your book, which is going to help so many. Yeah. Well, what's, what's really interesting is for me, it was these informative years, what I call informative years of when I moved, you know, I was a typical young child and probably very energetic, probably in today's world be classified ADHD because we just can't tolerate energetic children. <laughs> um, but, but, you know, I was very energetic and, and very leader oriented, always wanted to, to be the leader, you know, certain personality traits that I had as a child. And then, you know, I had great friends when I was little. And then around when I was six, we moved and we moved to a, a strange place with people I didn't know. And, and, you know, the informative years are right there. So from six to 13, uh, I was living up, up north in, in a fairly rough area uh, at the time, which was the late 1970s, early 80s. And I, I just found that uh, I was the target of bullies, mainly because of personality traits. So as we all know, you know, there's different reasons that kids get bullied. But for me, it's a sensitivity. It's an empathy. Mm -hmm. I have empathy by nature and I'm empathic. And so, you know, that sensitivity was easy to trigger in me. So once a bully, you know, learned they could trigger that, um, then that that would be what they would do. And, and so for those years, uh, it was probably almost a daily abuse. And, and I talk a lot about you know, decisions I made during that time as a, as a young child and, and as a, a, a beginning teenager where, you know, you're really trying to form who you are and, and how that really took me into a place where I didn't want to go. So the choices that I made were, were choices I didn't want to make, but felt I had to make, if mm -hmm. that makes sense. Yeah. And that's kind of a child's thinking, right? So, Indeed. you know, black or white. And, and that's the biggest problem is that, you know, in the world of bullying or even uh, abuse or, or any of that, as a child and as they become a teen, it gets even more black and white. You know, things are either good or bad. And they make horrible decisions, of course, as we know, if they're depressed as a teen, typically, you know, that's where the highest percentage of suicide is in the bullying world. And, and it's because they really don't see the bigger picture, don't see the greater life that's ahead of them. And, and you know, un unfortunately, it is a decision that, that too many make. Indeed. 
and yet there are there is help out there. However, because of the stigma, um, you know, we can get help for all kinds of illnesses, and 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 it, people seem to be okay with that. But it, when it comes to people that are struggling with with mental health, um, we we kind of shy away from that. And and this show is to really break the stigma of, and to bring support to mental health and and real practical tools. So can you talk about? healing, helping to heal yourself. What did you do? What are some of the techniques that you actually did to recover and to be where you are now? Yeah. And, it, and it's interesting because, you know, as I said, eight years ago, I started this website called the long-term effects of bullying, knowing, you know, that, that there were long-term effects, but never doing anything about it myself. I thought, you know, I, I was going to be better. I thought by writing my stories down, that was going to help and, and really not having this classification of CPTSD or the mental health aspect. I wasn't really thinking about myself. Right. Um, and, and as I, I took my journey down that road, uh, of course, you know, I did speaking engagements and I was telling my story often and I realized, you know, slowly but surely I was, I was sinking um, and several things happened and, and I describe it in my book. So I ruin it here. But I sunk down to stress, then to anxiety, and then finally to depression, which is a, a typical path in, in the CPTSD world, um, and, and really had to analyze what it was about myself uh, mm -hmm. that led to that, and then make the hard decision, which I think you're right, which is, you know, that we, we have to take the stigma off of mental health. So I knew, you know, where I was. And we know that people make choices when they get there. So a depressive person, you know, can make difficult choices. But, the, you know, the first thing they do is they think they're crazy. So I thought I was crazy. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I always say there's a cycle to depression. And, and then, you know, then they seek help from the Internet because it's so easy. And they find out all these horrible pieces of information. And they make their first psychiatry to, uh, appointment. And it, or, or they don't. Or they mm -hmm. take drinking and drugs, mm -hmm. which is another. And they, and they become isolated. Right. Yeah. And so, so for me, you know, I wasn't willing to to go down the drinking drugs route. Uh, that's not who I am. So I, I do believe in in the, the world of expert experts in mental health, and and I knew I was taking a risk on the stigma side because you know I do have a real job that that uh, does keep me from anyone wanting to know that. Um, and so, you know, I, I took the leap and, and, and I realized by taking that leap, um, that, that about two things about myself, one, that psychiatry wasn't going to do anything, but get my mind to calm down. A psychiatrist is really a medical expert. Mm -hmm. And, and the ones that I saw were, you know, were, were trying to work on giving me something to stop my ruminations, to stop me thinking about sort of this low self-esteem I had developed over the course of my life from bullying. And so, you know, that that was a long process. And I always equate it, I always equate mental health, you know, to to breaking your leg. So interestingly enough, at the height of my depression, I broke my foot and I had this epiphany, which was that the same thing I was going to go through with my foot, I was going through with my mental health or my mental break which was that first it was going to have to be cast. I was going to have to get a cast and that was going to take about six to eight weeks and there was going to be a lot of pain and I was going to have to take a drug to deal with the pain and, and to, you know, not think about it all the time. And then I was going to have to wait 
you know, and the waiting was very difficult. And it's difficult with a break in your foot, and it's difficult with a break in your mind because you don't want to wait. I mm -hmm. mean, nobody, nobody wants that. Right. And we do have to take an active role. I know Wallace for Wellness, our mandate is to really empower you to take control of your well-being. And I know that you used um, one technique that really resonated. And I think that's the reason we connected in Twitter. And mm -hmm. that's this very powerful. And Avdeep, you're going to be coming into the conversation here in a minute. And that's mindfulness. And can you talk about the Because we want our listeners to really have hope. Um, and yeah. what can we actually do? You're absolutely right. There are processes and the medical community has a very important role to play, but what can we do day in and day out with our lifestyle to make a difference? I know as a practitioner, what I recommend, and I think that's why we connected. So can you talk a yeah. little bit about how mindfulness and the other things that you did? Well, that's, what's interesting is I think that's the other thing that you have to do is, you know, there is nobody to help you, but yourself. Yeah. And so in, in, in turn of trying to help myself, I knew I was going to have to make lifestyle changes. So I, I started kind of slowly and, and it started with, you know, food and, and eating better and, you know, making a green smoothie every morning that at first I hated and then I loved. And <laughs> I've, I've never been a, an athlete, so I wasn't going to the gym. I wasn't working out. I wasn't, you know, sitting in a seat all day uh, as an IT professional and, and, and not moving. And, and so I, I said, I'm going to do a gym. I'm going to go out and work out. And I was, you know, of course, reading all of these things, you know, think that any any mental wellness program is going to tell you that eating right and exercise are essential to uh, your wellness. So I started doing things for me, whereas before I would find excuses and join groups to do things for them to keep my mind off of me. Mm -hmm. So so along with that came yoga. So, you know, the gym I joined had yoga and I met this wonderful yoga instructor, Yogi. In fact, I was just talking to her today. And and she, you know, taught me the value of, of that mindfulness. And then and, and I found a great meditation program um, that, that I use on my iPad called Calm, which is just has guided and unguided meditations. And I learned through guided meditation how to get myself to an unguided meditation mode. Fantastic. And just 10 minutes. Just 10 minutes, you know, and so you can go to the gym for 20 minutes. You could do meditation for 10 minutes. You could eat better. And you've made very little major life changes, right? What are we talking about? That was a half hour of time, uh, they say, minimally. And then you can make, you know. Major impact. And, and that's all. And with that, you get this incredible high that comes from working out, you know, we, we all know the endorphin story and it's real, you know, I, I learned that. And then from the mindfulness side through yoga and meditation, where you're only focused on you, right? So, you know, they're both called practices. And I think there's a reason for that. And I'm sure mm -hmm. we'll have lots to say about this, but we're never trying to be perfect. And I spent my whole life before trying to be perfect. Yes. Disappointed in myself. Yes. And I love that it's all practice. It is indeed. And, and this is a great time to bring Avdeep into the conversation, um, both from a professional and a personal background. Um, it's such an honor, first of all, to have a, a wonderful practitioner like you, Avdeep, on our WOW team, because you bring so much education, but passion for what you're doing. You're, we've heard Alan's story. And as, as I said, here we're 
we really want to bring the education and the empowerment behind what we're talking about. And you're the person to do that when it comes to mindfulness. Can you weigh in on this discussion and really talk about what is mindfulness? Because it really is based in science, isn't it? It is. It truly is. Thank you, Margaret. And I'm really grateful for being here with all of you. Um, it really is based in science because I resonate with what Alan was saying in that, you know, you broke a foot and you have to heal and recover from that. Um, it, mindfulness is about making changes in the brain and research shows that practicing, just like Alan said, practicing mindfulness on a regular basis truly changes the brain. It changes the way we respond to things in our environment and I think the biggest thing that mindfulness helps with, and research has shown this, is with stress. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, you know, physiologically, when we are stressed out, it sends off a cascade of hormones, you know, things like adrenaline and cortisone. And, um, you know, it affects our adrenals mm -hmm. because those are the hormones that, you know, kick us into fight or flight to help us deal with stress. Mm -hmm. What happens, you know, in our day-to-day -day life, our society, the way it is, is that we're constantly stressed. Mm -hmm. We're constantly reacting, um, you know, and our body's not designed to constantly remain in this stress state. And um, we, we, this is where mindfulness helps us. It helps us break that cycle where even just taking a breath or even noticing your body. So in a mindful body scan, you notice your body and you might even notice that your shoulders are tense and even just taking a breath in and exhaling and allowing yourself to relax your shoulders is breaking that cycle of stress. And, and, and you're absolutely right in living in our body and in the moment. And one of the things that Alan talked about is beating himself up about, um, what he thought and being judgmental and mm -hmm. mindfulness is about being non-judge it's non-judgmental awareness exactly. and, and being in our bodies I know as a massage therapist and laying on of hands and the power of touch more people than not sadly live outside of their body mm -hmm. because they're frightened to feel and when we take a moment to be mindful and we use, like you just talked about, breathing techniques and like mindfulness and meditation, we come inside our body, which is truly empowering because we can pay attention to the way we're feeling, honor that without judgment, and then really help to move and change physiologically. We talked about hormones, change what's happening, which re results in better health. So can you talk about actual benefits of mindfulness. So if somebody's listening to this and they're saying, yes, we're talking about mental health and we're talking about bullying and anxiety, depression, maybe abuse. Mm -hmm. Um, but the everyday person, um, can benefit from mindfulness. What are some of the science, what's some of the science that's proven, um, that mindfulness can be helpful with? Um, there's in terms of, you know, mental illness diseases, there's tons of research out there that says, that mindfulness is effective with helping people cope with and manage things like anxiety, depression, cancer, substance abuse, traumatic experiences, just like Alan was speaking about, um, with brain injury. There's actually a study by Hoffman et al. 2010 that actually did a meta-analysis of 39 studies and shows mindfulness helps people reduce their stress. You know? um, Mindfulness has been shown to help cognition because what happens with, with fight or flight responses is that the blood flow to our brain, our frontal lobe, which is our, our reasoning, our logic, 
our attention, our focus, the blood flow decreases there and it goes to the hindbrain where, you know, where it prepares our bodies for, to, you know, say run away from someone that might be attacking us, a stressful situation. So, you know, obviously if you're not having blood flow to the front of your brain because you're constantly stressed, it affects your cognition. So things like your attention, exactly. your focus, your memory, your mental flexibility, your processing speed. So by being mindfulness, they, by, by being mindful, research has shown you can improve your cognition. And they've found this even with older adults, you uh -huh, know, uh -huh. who are actually at that point where, you know, they do complain, I'm losing my memory, I can't remember, I can't focus, I can't read my book anymore. Right. So it's been found that it helps improve those areas of cognition. Yes. So, uh, Avdeep, can I, can I uh, ask something about um, yes. mindfulness? So there was an interesting piece that I learned, which was, a, you know, one of the first techniques I learned was belly breathing. Mm -hmm. As I was doing the research about it, what, what I found was interesting is that as as babies and young children, mm -hmm. we belly breathe. So I was telling my friends this. I was like, you know, when you, we all, we, any of us who had children, know you get up in the middle of the night, or oh, are they breathing? I said, where are you looking? And they would uh, inev invariably tell me their chest. I said, no, you're not. You're looking at their belly. Because mm -hmm. they're breathing from their belly. And I had done, I had found some research, and maybe you can speak on this, that says in our teen years, we move that breathing up to our chest. So mm -hmm. we start more shallow breathing, which... Again, if we're talking about oxygen to the brain and all these things, and then teenagers start with this depression and stress, is there some tie there? Is there something that, that ties that up, has been found? I can't think of any research right off the top of my head, but intuitively, I mean, it makes sense. If we're breathing into our abdomen, and a lot of traditional Chinese medicine approaches and Eastern philosophies also believe in yoga, for example, you've done, you know, breathing into your belly, you're expanding your lungs, uh -huh. you know, you're getting a more full breath, you're lowering your diaphragm. So physiologically, obviously, you're getting more oxygen to every single cell in your body, which in turn is, you know, affecting every system that you have, your immune system, your digestive system, your brain. Um, so I can't think of any research off the top of my head, Alan, mm -hmm. but, um, you know, it, it definitely makes sense. And even ourselves, when you're tired and you just pause for a moment and, and just take a few mindful, deep breaths, you actually can feel energized. The thing I'm cautious about is that, um, you know, as, as Margaret said, mindfulness is, you know, it's an intentional cultivation of moment-to-moment non-judgmental awareness. So often when I teach mindfulness, you know, people feel or they think in their head that I have to breathe in my belly, I have to breathe deep. Mm -hmm. But I always say to them, mindfulness breath awareness in this moment is about simply accepting your breath as it is mm. um, and that's so powerful i you know i'm excited because you're going to be hosting a mindfulness workshop in our clinic but even our listeners at home across the world to know when you just sit there and actually come inside our body as a therapist i just talked about how people live outside of their body mm -hmm. a simple thing of just paying attention to your breath without judgment like you said without asking yourself am i breathing into my tummy am i doing it this way or that way simply just not taking for granted that we are breathing mm -hmm. does has a huge physiological cascade of effects 
that are exceptionally positive. And one of them speaks to that, that foggy brain that Alan made um, reference to. You know, when you go through depression and you start to withdraw and you tend to be really foggy in your thinking, well, physiologically, a lack of oxygen can do that. So I love the fact that even just mindful breathing can be a really important way to start. So somebody that's listening at home right now um, that perhaps is experiencing some of the things that Alan or any of us have experienced, look at mindful breathing. What about mindful eating? Um, what, what about that? I was just going to jump into that, Margaret. You got me excited because I'm an <laughs> occupational therapist. Yes. So nobody ever, a lot of people don't know what that is, but occupation is about function. It's about the day-to-day things we do, right from waking up in the morning, brushing your teeth, showering, getting dressed, eating. So for me, finding mindfulness, it has been just an amazing, I don't know, it's just coming together as an occupational therapist because I feel like I focused a lot on the physical aspects of occupational therapy, the cognitive, the mental, but not the spiritual. Mm -hmm. And I feel with mindfulness, I can bring, you know, that sense of being, Mm -hmm. just being present with what you do. So when you speak about eating, which is an occupation that we do, it's an activity of daily living. Right. You know, I, I, um, I tell my clients that use all your five senses. So here's a practical tip for all the listeners out there. You know, when you're eating your food, rather than gobbling down what you eat and not even fully getting the nutrients that we can get from our food, like Alan said, his diet was so important for his healing. Pay attention with all your senses. So look at what you're eating. Smell what you're eating. Mm -hmm. If, If you're holding it in your hands, feel it. You know, listen to it when it's in your mouth as it crunches and the textures in your mouth and the tastes in your mouth. And that is amazing to bring you in the present moment, which is what mindfulness is about, right? It is indeed. And, you know, our dietitian, Amy Hayes, talks about mindful eating. And it links back to also as well, you don't even give your body, the way we live our lives, people are eating in the car on the go, driving their kids to soccer. We do, it should be a pleasurable, I mean, yes, we're nourishing our body. Food is medicine, as Alan spoke about earlier. But we can't even enjoy it. And we're just mm-hmm. gobbling our food in. We don't get our hunger cues because we don't even give our bodies a chance to we don't listen to our body we just eat right and when we do take that opportunity this is a quick and easy tip to actually start to practice Mm -hmm. mindfulness in a day-to-day activity as alan said you know that you don't have to spend a lot of time doing but the impact and the results of it are massive and And it's rewiring your brain really sorry and i i I had to use it in my recovery because another part of fight or flight that i'm I'm sure uh, deep and, and margaret you know is that what your your brain has an actual nerve that goes down to your stomach. So when you go into fight or flight mode, which is anxiety or stress, it actually tightens your stomach. And so mm-hmm. you think that there's something wrong with your stomach and you stop eating, which then has cascading consequences, of course, uh, to your body. And that happened to me. I went through every test thinking I had cancer, thinking I had this, mm-hmm. because I had this constant tightness in my stomach and didn't want to eat and lost 20 pounds during you know, the lowest point. Absolutely. And then, and then I had to become mindful about eating because it was the only way I was going to get through a meal anymore was to do it slowly and mm-hmm. to, to say, it's not going to make me sick. And I'm not, you know, even though I have a stomach ache, I need to eat and nurture my body. And it's, it's part of what I feel. And I think, you know, that's, that's the problem is, is, you know, stress and anxiety lead to you know, a discomfort of the stomach the discomfort and not wanting to eat or, or in some people, maybe even a triggering and eating 
uh, wanting to eat, but but More, or or choosing to eat the wrong foods and just right. not paying attention. Absolutely, absolutely. And so and so for me, it was a a very big part of my recovery was mindful eating, which uh, Deep you were just explaining, which is a, an amazing process to go through when you were like me, who was a speed eater and, yes. <laughs> and, and never enjoyed food or never thought of food as an enjoyable experience. Right. Now, one last tip, Avdeep, um, because as an occupational therapist, you, you talk about daily activities. So we've talked about mindful breathing. We've talked about mindful eating, mindful walking. Yes. Really. And I, of course, I know this, but I'm pretty sure this will be a shocker to many. Can you talk about that? You know what? Mindful walking simply about paying attention when you walk. And you know what? Um, I, that one mindful walking experience that really resonates with me and is a real visual for people I find is especially in the winter time. People hate the winter. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I actually find real joy by mindfully walking from my car to wherever I'm going because I walk slowly. What's an extra two minutes, you know, if I walk a little bit slower and I pay attention to, for example, just the white snow around me on the trees. I listen to the snow beneath my feet. I smell the crisp air. I listen to the sounds around me. I just feel my feet touching the ground. And that's a great grounding exercise too, because we're always in our heads. We're always thinking, thinking, thinking. Yes. And we're not present. And that's where anxiety comes from, right? Where anxiety sometimes is we're thinking about what's going to happen next, what's going to happen tomorrow, next right. year. You know, we're depressed because we're thinking about the past and just even paying attention to your feet as you walk, your arms as they swing, your hips as they're moving, just brings you into the present moment. You know what? And that is so powerful. I, a wonderful doctor who has been instrumental in bringing mindfulness to the forefront is, is Dr. John Kabat-Zinn. And mm-hmm. I remember seeing an interview with him on, on 60 Minutes uh, with Anderson Cooper. And he talked about being mindful in the shower. And he said something very powerful that really resonated with me. He said, are you really in the shower? <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I, I, we laugh, but I... You know, I resembled that comment because how many times do I start my day and I'm in the shower, but really I'm at my first meeting and the first patient that I'm going to see and what are the kids got going and I'm not even experiencing the shower. And I think our society 24 seven and and, and on full tilt all the time, it's wreaking havoc on our mental and emotional and physical well-being. Mm -hmm. And hence it impacts, as Alan has talked about his story, it really impacts our health. So let's, those are some great tips, Avdi. Now I I need to bring this back around and and talk about this fantastic book, A Ladder in the Dark, which is your memoir, Alan. Mm -hmm. Um, It's going to be available on Amazon and in major book outlets. Can you just briefly to tell us a little bit about that, where we can find out about it. Um, and sure. then, uh, yeah, so that our, our listeners can get involved. Well, it, it is, as you said, it's titled a ladder in the dark and it's the idea of, you know, that we, we put a hole in our mind and we, we bury our, or I buried my, my bad memories or my bullying memories and tried to move on in my life. But, but that hole was always there. And so, you know, it was released in June, so you can get it now and it's released worldwide, uh, at Amazon and all, um, major book retail outlets. And I think what, what you find with it is it, it is a journey. It is, it is a story of, what I did and and how I recovered. So I think for many people, 
uh, at least in, in the early reviews, I've been very lucky to find that it is hitting that nerve that it's not just about me. You know, it's not just my story. It's it's the story of everyone who goes through these things. Absolutely. Um, and bullying is just my my abuse. But the people I've talked to who have all sorts of abuse situations. But, you know, I, I think what I tried to do in the book is, is write it in a way that it, it reflected the way that I was living. And, and again, I, I tried to write it with candor. I, you know, there is no black and white to bullying. When I had an opportunity to bully someone, I, I did it mm -hmm. uh, because I was hurt. And right. so, you know, I always tell people, I say, it's, it's not very black and white. And it's, it's easy to say that, you know, this happens. But for me, you know, it wasn't until my 40s that I really came to the realization that this is what occurred and this is what I had to deal with uh, so many years later. Um, and I think that happens to many of us that we, you know, we lose sight of, of these damaging points in our lives and we, we try to bury them behind us when actually acceptance is what we want to do. Absolutely. And so yeah. that was what I, I had to go through and learn is that you, you accept and move on. And, and so, you know, again, being mindful, um, I, I always share a quote that, that I, I'm very endeared to that my wife actually has given me twice. So that's how important it is. <laughs> but it was Eleanor Roosevelt. And it's a very simple quote. And it's, it's um, that you can't, you can't change the past and you can't predict the future. So all we have is now mm -hmm. the present and, and the present is a gift. That's why it's called yes. the present. And I think that, you know, if you can start to live that way, if you can start to understand that kind of concept of, of letting go of your past and saying, you know, I can't change that. It happened. And not trying to predict my future. You know, if the book, I always say if the book is successful, wonderful, uh, you know, that that's my dream. I'm following my dream. I would have never done that eight years ago. Mm -hmm. um, and now I will. And if it is, that's great. But if it's not, you know, it doesn't ruin my life. It's not going to, you know, take me and I, I can't control the future. I, I will just do the things that I feel are the most healthy for me. And I think that was the biggest change I made was finding a way to accept me and love me. Right. And, and finding that you can't love others until you do really, truly love yourself. Well, that is very powerful, and you're absolutely right. The gift of being in the moment each and every one of us have. And, Ellen, I'm so glad that uh, we connected through Twitter and that you've been able to share your story. Uh, once again, A Ladder in the Dark is available through Amazon. And if you want more information and connect with the blog, bullyingrecovery.org. And Abdeet Baraha, I can't say an Thank you enough for coming on, bringing your, your education, your knowledge, and your passion. Um, can you tell us, too, just uh, for anybody in the greater Toronto area, we've got a workshop coming up. But the cool thing is, if you can't come to see you in person, if you're in Washington, D.C., or you're in California, or maybe you're in the U.K., you even do Skype consultations. But tell us about your workshop coming up and how we can get in touch with you. Yes, for sure. Thanks, Margaret. Uh, the workshop is going to be at the Brampton Clinic at Wallace for Wellness on September the 30th from 6.30 to 9 p.m. And it's just an introductory workshop to mindfulness. And we'll go through some guided practical exercises that, um, just like we spoke about mindful eating, mindful walking, mindful breathing, body scan. 
and you know things that people can take with them and continue to practice and then obviously if they want to continue to see me one-on-one over skype in person we'll do that um and the event is on event right awesome it's, yeah and you can also call your clinic yes and uh yeah and visit wallaceforwellness.com. And if you want information about Avdeep, you can certainly check her out on the website and uh, reach out. Um, she would love to see you by Skype. So on behalf of Todd Miller of Listen Up Talk Radio and myself, Margaret Wallace Duffy, thank you, Alan and Avdeep, for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. Stay in touch. And until next time, be well. Be well.